Y'all know there's two types of people in this world, right? Uh, you've heard this possibly, there's iPhone people, there's Android people. By raise of hands, where are my iPhone people at? Wow, everyone, any Android? Or are you even willing to show yourself in this audience? Yeah, you're probably still on MySpace too or something, whatever. Okay, what, what about the, what group of people uh, left the football game early this Saturday? You're like, no chance was I getting a sunburn. No chance, okay? Now, let me see if you're a true Baylor fan and you stuck it out. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. What about this? What about this? How many of you are going to be in Atlanta for the new year in Mercedes-Benz Stadium with Passion? I'll be there. I'll see you there. Passion Worship will be there. How many of you are going to miss out to start the new year? Uh, put your hands down, put your hands down. What about this? This is my absolute, one of the funniest things that's happened over the summer, which is this, how many of you on Facebook are going to storm Area 51 and get them aliens? Anybody? Wow, good amount of people. How many of you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about? All right, here's some free fun. It's cheap, it's clean. Go look up on Facebook what is going on with Area 51 on September 20th and get your popcorn ready because it's gonna be absolutely amazing to see how the government responds to that. Anyways, now that I've lost all of you, the reason why I start with that tonight is because we're gonna see, it three, we're gonna see three things that we're meant to do as the church tonight. And you're, as I said, there's like one thing or the other. And what we're going to see tonight is that we're either unifying or dividing. We're either serving or we're consuming. We're either belonging or we're just attending. And those are the three things that we're going to look at tonight because tonight's church night. Every year we start early on in the semester and have a night about church because as I say every week, welcome to Vertical, we're not your church. We're a supplement, not a substitute. Welcome again to Vertical, I'm glad you're here. That's what tonight's all about. The second part of Vertical's mission is we exist to ignite a passion in college students for Jesus Christ, his church, and then his mission around the world. And so that's what we're gonna see tonight, but I wanna start with a confession. And here it is. When I was in your shoes, I didn't believe in the church. And if you had asked me to be honest, like I would have just told you like, and I even bought the lie, we're talking about lies, we're in a series on lies. I would have just told you, hey, church is nice, but it's not necessary. I bought that lie. I bought tons of lies about the church. When I thought of the church, if I was honest, it was this cheesy place of felt boards and like puppets when I was a kid. That's what it was. Or maybe over time it even evolved into this place of like fog and haze and like emotional lighting and all these different things that were going on that kind of inside of me made me bitter. I'm like, this seems kind of fake. And maybe part of the reason why I thought it was fake was because I was sitting there on Saturday nights getting drunk and on Sunday mornings, arms crossed, I was like standing in the church thinking everyone around me was fake because some of the people around me were with me the night before. That was the way I viewed church. 
had a really low view of church. I didn't believe in the church. I didn't even rightly understand what the church was. If you were like, what is the church? Dale would have been like, yeah, it's the building that I go to on Sundays and Wednesdays. And sometimes in between when my mom drags me. That's what I thought of the church. And I honestly think that some of you might think the same way. And tonight, I want to undo that. I want to show you from the scripture that there is so much to the church. And it's honestly way bigger than we can imagine. I want to show you a bunch of different things from Ephesians 4 is where we're going to be in the text. But here's the deal. I want to give you a brief history of even the church. When Jesus died... That's who we were just singing about, Jesus. He came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserved. He paid for all of our sins on the cross. And then three days later, he resurrected from the dead. And what started after that was the church. And Acts gives an account of like what was going on after Jesus ascended into heaven. God's people started gathering and that's when people were called Christians followers of Jesus. But here's the reality, like you and me, when we think of church, we think of that building that we go to probably on Sundays. But for 200 years, there was no buildings. The church isn't a building. It's the people of God. From the beginning of of church history or Christian history, it's always been the body, the members, one another. We are each parts. For those that are followers of Jesus, we are different parts and we're connected as a unit. So all of us who believe in Jesus are following Jesus are a part of the, the universal church. And so we, again, we have Acts, then we have 200 years before finally somebody was like, my house is being used way too much, okay? Every night there's people here gathering and worshiping and and, and celebrating the goodness and the good news of the gospel. So finally, a group of people were like, you know, we're just gonna designate this house as a building that's just gonna be used for worship. Fast forward, in fact, the, the, the word church wasn't even used in English until the 13th century. And in fact, there were early Quakers who wouldn't call the buildings where people, the body of Christ, the people of God gathered, the assembly. Like there were early Quakers that wouldn't call it church. They refused to call it church. In fact, they would call it the steeple house. You can see why that didn't last long. They now call it the church, right? It's just easier to call it the building, the church, because it's where the body, the actual church gathers together to grow. That's what the church is. So the universal church are the people of God and the local church is the way we're meant to be connected to one another. And so I I hope that tonight you'll get a bigger vision for church. And I hope tonight, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not a part of the church, the universal church, I pray that you would see the hope that we all need in Jesus Christ. And you would say, I wanna belong to that. So if you'll turn in your Bibles with me, again, to Ephesians 4 is where we're going to be. Verses 1 through 16. This is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. It's not First Baptist Ephesus. It's just the people of God in Ephesus. They were probably meeting in houses. And we pick up 
chapter 4, what you need to know about the first three chapters is the first three chapters are about the good news of the gospel. I'm going to read a portion for you from Ephesians 2. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. We were all once sinful, but God. Being rich in mercy because of his great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even though he knew we were going to fall short of his glory, he made us alive together. How? In Christ. By grace you have been saved. And it goes on to say, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not our own doing. We can't work our way to salvation. We can't work our way for God to love us. No, for by grace we've been saved through faith. And this is not our own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that none of us can boast. This letter is to the church in Ephesus. And the first half is about doctrine of salvation. It's about God's grace in our lives. And what that does is we get to the chapter four, chapter three ends with an amen. And then in chapter four, it picks up with, and this is how we're meant to live in light of the good news of the gospel. That's where we're picking up. Paul, again, to the church in Ephesus says this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. The first point that I told you we were going to look at tonight is that we were meant to unify. Paul is saying, hey, in light of the good news of what Christ has done for us, the God's people should do everything to maintain the unity that you already have. Notice what he's saying. He's like, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace because you have all these things in common. You have the most important thing in common with God's people. If you're a follower of Jesus and other people are followers of Jesus, you have the most important thing in common. And so Paul's saying, so you should be unified in the one Lord, in the one spirit, in the one father, in one baptism, all these things you have in common. Be eager to maintain that unity. But he gives us a way how. I want us to see how we're meant to unify and not divide. Humility, gentleness, and patience. You see that in verse two? With all humility and gentleness with patience. That's how we're meant to unify. Let's start with humility. We're just gonna look at humility and gentleness tonight. Humility. What does the Bible say about humility? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, do what? Consider others better than yourselves. If you want to be unified, consider others better than yourselves by being humble. You know what scripture also says about humility is that God gives grace, or God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to those that are humble. But in fact, if you aren't pursuing humility, 
or if you aren't pursuing unity through humility, you might actually be opposing God. Let me say that again. If you aren't pursuing unity through humility, then you might actually be opposing God. Humility is important. And I think sometimes we think pride is just okay. You know, it's just a little pride. What's it going to hurt? What's it going to hurt? God opposes the proud. Humility is a way that we find unity. The second thing that the text says that Paul tells the Ephesians to do in order to stay unified is to be gentle. And here's the deal. Gentleness is not weakness. It's strength under control. This word for gentleness is used in the Sermon on the Mount about meek as well. It's this image of uh, strength being under control. And it's this image of a horse having a bit and a bridle. Is that what it's called? Brittle. Bridle. You know what I'm talking about. You're from Texas. Bridle. Thank you, Hick. I appreciate it. (laughs) Forgive me. You're not a Hick. You just are a Texan. So here's the deal. Horses, they're extremely strong. If you got kicked by one, you could die. Truly. They are strength controlled by another. And Paul is telling the church in Ephesus, in order to stay unified, be strong, but be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by God. It's not that you're weak. Gentleness isn't weakness. It's strength under the control of another. So those are the two ways that, or two ways that we're just going to look at. Patience is patience. We could all work on patience. Humility and gentleness are ways to humility. So what is this, or excuse me, are ways to unity. So what does this look like? Why is this important? Here's the reality. For you right now, if your roommate's a Christian and when they leave the room, all you do is gossip and bad mouth them. And you talk about the conflict that you're having and how that person was a jerk and how they handled all these things wrong or maybe they're in a relationship that you don't approve of and you're just, you're talking bad about them. All you have to do when they leave the room is talk bad about them. What's that doing? It's dividing. It's dividing each and every one of us from each other. What's the flip side of this? Instead of gossiping, maybe if there is a conflict, you seek out your friend and you say, hey, I have this problem. This offended me. Or hey, maybe they're living in sin and you're like, instead of talking bad about them, you can be a part of the solution. How are we a part of the solution? You take the log out of your own eye, you show them your own sin, and then you say, hey, I see a speck in your eye. Can we hold each other accountable? Here's my log. Can, we, can I talk to you about your speck so we can work through this together so that we can glorify God together? That's unity. And honestly, that's what we want. We want people to be for us, to be willing to say hard things, to say loving things. We want unity. We're just kind of scared to pursue it. And honestly, some of us don't trust people. Why? Because we're not rightly connected to the body of Christ, to one another, as we're meant to be. So we don't know who to trust and we're scared to share. We're meant to unify, but so many of us are just divisive with one another. We're the church. 
We're meant to be a reflection of Christ to others. The church is meant to be so unified that others want to be a part of it. So how do we do this? How do we unify? The three ways that Paul tells the Ephesians to be unified, patience, humility, gentleness, those three things, two of them are found in the fruit of the Spirit. And so we know, what we know about the fruit of the Spirit is that in order to have the fruit of the Spirit, we abide in Jesus. Some of you were given these bands that say abide one of the first few weeks at Vertical and you took one happily, you put it on your hand and your wrist and you have absolutely no idea what it means and so we're glad you're here. And here's, here's the deal. Here's what the word abide means. It means to be connected to Jesus, to remain in him, to find life in him. This is me attaching myself to a vine. By the way, I do this all the time. I'm like, this is me, okay? That's what it means to abide to stay connected. And when we're connected to Jesus, when we spend time with him, when we're prayerful, when we go about our day thinking about him and how we can serve him, how we can glorify him, who we can tell about him, when we live in this way, then what we produce is what? Fruit. The fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I probably missed one because I'm a sinner and I don't always remember scripture right. Okay, here's the deal. Among those Fruits of the Spirit were those things that bring about unity. So I'd venture to say part of the reason why we're not unified is we're not going to the person of Jesus and reminding ourselves that we have been forgiven by what Jesus did on the cross. So how can we talk bad about what somebody else has done? We have no right. We've needed forgiveness as well. So we can be unified with one another as we abide. If you want to learn how to be humble, just get on your knees. Pray for humility. He'll humiliate you. It'll be awesome. Last thing really quickly to illustrate this. One of the ways that we are not unified as as a church, as a body, as people of God, is we're constantly trying to label people. In fact, we do a QA and a on the vertical Instagram about once a month. And the last month, somebody asked a question. It was like, Dale, do, what do you think about this theology? And I think theology is important. I think, I, I'm not saying that. But what was interesting about the question was that part of the question was underlying the fact that like this person just wanted to know if I was a part of this camp. And I responded a joke about the theology. And I was like, I'm, I just want to be a Jesus person. There's other theologies that are important, but part of the reason and part of the ways that we're divided is we love to label. Here's the deal. What if we labeled less and loved each other more? Then maybe we would be more unified. First thing, we're meant to unify, not divide. Picking up in verse 7. Let's keep reading. This is a chunk of Scripture So just stick with me. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave... The apostles, 
the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Some of you are like, what just happened? Let's be honest. (laughs) What was that about? This is what the text is saying. God has given grace freely to everyone through his son, Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's how he gave grace to everyone here. No one is too far. The grace is sufficient for everyone. But I'm going to be really careful here. He's also gifted us by grace. And he's gifted us all differently. All of us were given the same amount of grace and mercy for salvation and for forgiveness of sins. But we've all been gifted differently. Within the body, you have been gifted. And wherever you land among that, you have been gifted so that you can learn and then you can teach others also. 2 Timothy 2, 2 says this. Paul is telling Timothy, what I've told you in the presence of many witnesses, you, sh- you be sure to entrust to others who will be able to teach others also. There's this divine handoff that's happening here in the text where it's saying, hey, I've gifted people so that they can, they can teach you, so that they can serve you, and that once you receive that, you can teach and serve others. That's what's happening in the text. And what we see in verse 12 is that people have been gifted to equip the saints, that's you. There are people with gifts who have been given to equip you and me for the work of ministry. All of us are meant to receive from the gifts from others so that we can be equipped to minister to others. That's you. You've been gifted to serve other people. That's how God has made you. And some of you are like, nope, not me. I'm not a saint. Did you know what I did this weekend? There's no chance God could use me to serve another person. There's no chance God could use me to be a gift to another person. Here's the deal. You were made and you were gifted to serve others. And if you're not serving, then you will miss out and others will miss out. So the second point from this portion of the text is that we were meant to serve. We were meant to serve, not just consume. Everyone is called to building up the body by using our gifts. And everyone's been gifted in a way to serve and build up others. And then what I love about this, this idea of service and the idea of serving others is that this text says that as we serve others, as we're served and as we serve, what happens? We mature. And then we're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves. So actually service produces growth in each and every one of us. When we're rightly serving others, when we're connected to the body and we're serving others, we ourselves grow. We, we mature. 
And in fact, it even goes on to say, we, wouldn't, we, won't, we will no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried away about by every wind of doctrine. So we'll actually be more stable when we're serving, not just consuming. We are meant to serve, not just consume. But here's the deal. How do we do this? I'm gonna tell you how to do this. How do we serve? You go to your church and you go up to somebody that works there and you say, how can I serve? Let them show you, let them equip you and then you can serve others. That's how you do this. We were meant to serve, but here's the reality. So many of us treat church like it's a movie theater. Here's what I mean. Think about this for a second. When you go to a movie theater, what do you do? You show up. You get comfortable, maybe you get something to drink, I eat coffee, you walk in, you sit down, you relax, you don't talk to anyone, nobody better talk, nobody better disturb you. You watch the film, you leave, you discuss what you liked about it and what you didn't like about it, and then you leave relatively unchanged, right? Sounds like a movie theater. So many of us, we treat church like it's a movie theater, but we just consume. We assume that's what the church was made to do. Let me, let me be clear though. Part of it is consuming. We're meant to learn. We're meant to be served, but we're also meant to serve. And what I mean by being served is we're meant to learn from the gifts of others so that we too may be able to serve others also. We were meant to serve. You and I were meant to serve. Not just consume. Let's finish in verse 15. What's the third thing? that the church, that we are meant to do. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is, the, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The third point, this is saying, we're meant to speak the truth in love and grow together by being connected, by belonging to the body. Like we're a part, we're a hand, we're an arm, we're a shoulder, we're a foot. We're all these different things. Christ is the head. And each part, when you and I are rightly connected, rightly belonging, when we're working properly, we make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The body of Christ grows when we belong, when we're connected. We were meant to belong, not just attend. And for most of the churches that are gonna be here tonight that we're gonna introduce you to in a minute, that means being all in, being a member, being a part of a small group, community group, life group, whatever people are calling it, group, you know, whatever cheesy church name, group, whatever, right? but most of us aren't experiencing the speaking truth and love part of life because we're not actually in community. We don't actually belong to the local church. We just attend. And so we're missing out on this part of life where other people get to speak into what's going on. In fact, I would even venture to say that I think confession is one of the most important things that everyone in here should be doing, but nobody in here or a lot of you in here are wondering, who would I ever confess sin to? Here's who, your community. 
the people around you so that they can speak truth to you and they can remind you of the good news of the gospel that no matter what you did this weekend, hey, God loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross on your behalf. Did you know that? You know that you, you have been forgiven. You're washed white as snow. Now let's talk about truth, even more truth, not just the love, the truth part. How do we make no provision for sin as Romans 13, 14 tells us? How can we remove whatever that is that you are dealing with? How can we help you? How can we hold you accountable to that? A lot of us are missing that community, that kind of opportunity for confession because we don't belong to anyone or anything the way we were meant to belong relationally with one another. And community is this buzzword. I remember when I was here, I was in a fraternity. <laughs> this is bad. And I remember being at a rush event and they're like, Dale, we want you to speak on you know, the frat. I'm like, okay, I got this. And so I remember talking about the fraternity and I was like, you know what? We're just this brotherhood and community and it's amazing. And I talked about it. I honestly, I, I made it sound like we were a church, which is a huge lie. I was like, we got each other's backs and all these different things. And, and, and the reality is at Baylor, like there's so many, MCC, TSCC, there's so many different things that are calling themselves community. And I'm telling you, the most important thing for you to belong to is your local church. I promise. We need community to remind us of the good news, of what God has done for us. Because belonging is how we're known. It's what a lot of us want. I've noticed over the years, like, we're more and more surrounded by people, but we're lonelier and lonelier because we're not known. We all have a deep longing to be known. And I actually believe that longing is meant to be satisfied in the person of Jesus and his people. That's how we're meant to be known. As we belong to the body, we're not just supposed to attend. So in summary, we're meant to unify, serve, and belong. It spells USB, which is those little devices that are useless unless they're connected. You too, I would venture to say, are useless if you're not rightly connected to the body of Christ. Close with this before I invite the churches up. I just want to say one last thing. It's that my perspective has changed. Over time, one of the biggest regrets I have from college is not being involved in local church. It actually took me till I was an upperclassman before I even became a member of a local church. But now, now I see more clearly, I'm like, wow, all those things I really longed for, I could find in the local church. All those things I really wanted, I wanted to be free from sin, but I didn't know how, I didn't know where to go, but I didn't realize that community is the place that that can be found as we circle together, as we have people to pray for one another. Like that's the way we were meant to live, connected rightly to the local church. Church, you and me, 
That's where life is found. It doesn't matter if things are cheesy. It doesn't matter if there's felt boards and puppet shows and all these different things. It doesn't even matter if you feel like it's fake or you feel like it's shallow. I promise the church is the hope of the world. You are the hope of the world, I promise. And I'm begging you, don't waste four years and then go off to wherever you're gonna go off to and miss out on the hope of the world and the opportunity to be rightly connected to Christ. How could you be too busy to belong to the most important thing that is on this earth? Think about that. It's the hope of the world. It's the way God is meant to reach the nations is through his people, through the church. That's what it is. You are God's plan A to reach people. So if you're not connected, the body, the body can't work properly to reach the world as we're supposed to be reaching them. And so I'm begging you, Vertical isn't a church. Don't make it your church. As you leave here, if you're not rightly connected, go connect. And if you're too busy for church, then you're too stupid busy. And if you're too busy to spend time with Jesus in the morning, you're too stupid busy. I once got in trouble for saying in a class that busyness was BS. So I'll keep the words BS to myself. But I honestly think it is. On this campus, it's a badge of honor, but in reality, it should be an indictment on each and every one of us. And I say that with sincerity and love, and I say it very seriously because I was once in your shoes, especially you freshmen. Be wise about your commitments. The best place you can plug in is the church. Freshman, senior, fifth year, church.